The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk. Hello, I'm joined in the studio today by Kunal Mehta, a senior fixed income specialist at Vanguard. Bonds are back has been the rallying cry of asset management marketing departments this year, although few segments of the bond market have really delivered that strongly for investors. And some important areas like UK government bonds have actually been quite painful to own. Kunal, welcome to the podcast. A great setup. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, thank, thanks for braving the drizzle today to join <laughs> us. Um, so look, so you used to be a fixed income portfolio manager uh, at uh, Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo, but in the current role at Vanguard, Vanguard, what, what do you do? You're, you're more on the client side, right? Yeah, so in, uh, you know, my, most of my career was on the fixed income mm. uh, portfolio management team. Um, I've been an analyst. I've worked with, uh, you know, worked on portfolios as an analyst and uh, both at Morgan Stanley as well, part yeah. of the fixed income uh, team at Wells Fargo as well. And from uh, really from, from part of Goldman Sachs and in Wells Fargo and now at Vanguard, it's really been a lot more about being a technical specialist in front mm-hmm. of clients. It's been, um, you know, I, I, I like markets, I enjoy it. And I also like the problem solving part of clients. I like, I actually enjoy some of the tough discussions that we have because it, it, you know, everyone has a view on markets and it's just great to debate them. Okay. So in some sense, bridging the gap between the clients and the portfolio managers or? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And okay. um, just trying to be as helpful to clients as as possible. Mm. All right. So, you know, I, I've seen, so I mentioned in the intro, I've seen so many presentations this year from firms telling investors bonds back. Is that what Vanguard have been saying as well? <laughs> yeah, we, we have, absolutely. I think, you know, it was um, a lot of optimism coming in the year mm. because last year was so bad. So you expected a bit of a rally back. You know, the first half of the year didn't live up to expectations. Um, and, you know, I, I tend to, I think, to an element, yes, I think when people say bonds are back, what are they are really meaning? You know, mm. They really mean that when in the last few years, when you haven't had much inflation, you've had quite a high correlation between bonds and equities. So the role that is expected of bonds hasn't been played. And now you've had, then you suddenly had this massive spike in inflation. So the bonds are back narrative comes down to the one. Now that interest, as interest rates rise, yeah, the correlation between bonds and equities begins to fall. But the other side of bonds, and it's one of the asset classes that just provides this relevant relative to others, is income. Mm. You know, ec- uh, you know, commodities aren't income bearing. Equities, you know, you have dividends, but companies don't need to pay them. Fixed income, it's an expectation that your bond provides income. Yeah. But when your income is de minimis, it's not really there. Sure. So now you've seen income come back to the market. That's another real big function of what we want bonds to provide. And and the bonds are back argument ultimately says that I put bonds in my portfolio. If I have higher amount of income, that's a constant return stream which means that if other return streams are more volatile and you add a constant 
source to it, you mm. bring down the overall volatility. Therefore, you're playing, bonds are playing that role that you kind of want them to play. Sure. So I'm in that camp where bonds aren't necessarily, it's not bonds are so, so much back, but bonds are now just being bonds again. <laughs> gotcha. And, you know, you, as we discussed before, you speak to a lot of our audience, wealth managers in the UK. Have they broadly been receptive? You know, have they been hungry buyers of fixed income again? I think everybody wants to. Mm. But it is... But something stopping them? Or? Last year stopped them. Mm. You know, last year uh, people lost a lot of money and that has caused a great deal of caution. That caution has led them to most, a lot of investors to sit in cash. And, mm. you know, to get out of cash, it's a higher barrier today, right? Because, you know, interest rates are a lot higher, money market funds are offering very attractive yields. And so to get out of cash now into bonds, they have to offer something higher. Yeah. And that comes with a degree of risk and it's whether investors are comfortable with that risk. So I think that's really, you know, that's that's part of it, the concern. And the other side is, you know, when we think about this point in the market cycle, you've had large interest rate rises, everyone's talking about recession and this discussion has gone on for a long time. When things go on for a long time, it means more and more people have a view. And the view is just spread right across the spectrum. This is the most telegraphed, you know, recession. Yeah. It is It is the Kim Kardashians of recession. Everybody, you know, it's just everyone's got a view. Mm -hmm. And everyone is interested in it. And what that means is that you have... Um, you know, it's funny, asset managers ultimately, when they have a view also, they want that view to be publicized. And so if it's the same view as somebody else, you want to tweak a little bit, right? So it gets a little bit more attention. Right. So it's like you see this very big spectrum of views. A lot of them aren't significantly different to the other. And, and it, what it means is that causes higher, again, volatility and higher dislocation, but higher amount of caution in the market which just means that it really comes down to investors really having a mindset, which is, I don't want to get in too early and mm. have more losses. I'm happy to get in when I have a higher probability of success and miss out on some of the upside. Yeah, And I feel like that's where investors are. So yes, to answer your question, people want to be in, and we have seen more money coming back into fixed income, Yeah, but it's probably, it's not as much as really the market expected. Mm, okay, um, you know we could be a bit of a at a bit of a turning point for that. I mean, we've just had a round of big central banks all holding interest rates unchanged, including the Bank of England last week. I mean, so what what's the kind of Vanguard house view on that? Are we at peak rates, so to speak? I think it's. I think for the US, mm. you've definitely had very resilient growth. You know, we're very much in the camp that you still can have at least. You know. Um, you can have um, another rate hike, but it would be a quite a high bar in the US. Uh, I think inflation has stayed resilient. You know, unemployment um, stayed resilient, but that's starting to lose momentum a little bit. Wage inflation has been one of the biggest drivers in mm. the US. But you, as you are right, there is becoming more of a view now, more of a consensus market view that we are at peak. Now, the question is, is there's also rate cuts baked in for next year. You know, we would argue that those are likely to get priced out 
because you know the, we believe that the Fed is likely to be at these current levels for a little bit longer. Okay, so higher, higher for longer. Higher so for speak. longer, yeah. Um, whether that means they're going to have another rate hike in the US, that's definitely in the data. Mm. Um, and the US is dual mandate on growth as well. You know, they want to have growth in the market. So I, I think it's there is a possibility of another hike. But it's not a high probability at this point. But if we continue to see resilient inflation, um, then it's 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 likely that we could we might not be at least at that peak. Okay. But I feel, I would I would say that it's it's a fine line at the moment. I think your margin right now is: Are you likely to go to another hundred basis points higher from here? Very unlikely. Mm. You're much more likely to go hundred basis points lower in yields, in market yields from here, yeah. then 100 basis points up, and even 50 basis points up, to be fair. Yeah. In Europe, different. You know, I think Europe is closer to pretty much the peak now. Yeah. Growth has been slowing. Um, and growth is likely to slow a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, any cuts that are priced into the market for next year, we don't really see many cuts again in the market, but likely to see higher for longer. Um, inflation is an issue in in Europe because it's a net energy importer. Um, it's also a big trade partner of China and yeah. therefore is exposed to Chinese growth, mm-hmm. um, which has been coming down. So I think there's different problems and sure. or different issues, so I say, but more likely to be at the peak. Okay. Um, and the UK, I think the UK is the most difficult market. It's got the highest. So? It's got the highest inflation. Mm. And to your point earlier, UK gilts have been hurt because they're the longest duration, and we had a very quick repricing of the yield curve. Mm. And in a very short amount of time, yields went up, and people that are holding gilts were down quite a bit. Yeah. And so that again, coming back to the cautionary point, they are cautious around it. But UK at the moment, with you know, with the levels of inflation that are much higher than every other market. You know, it it it's very data dependent. Okay. From here, I think, you know, I think the Bank of England came out yesterday and said, well, maybe uh, the market is reading. You know, the way the market is reading the mark, uh, the way investors are reading the market at the moment is not way off, and that's kind of rallied the market a little bit. So you have seen definitely a lot more UK investors mm. um, coming back into bonds, especially long duration bonds. Okay. Um, so that's that. So that's you were, we're starting to see a shift then. I think so, uh, and it's from different types of investors, right? I think we have to also remember that our market in the UK is, you know, it, it's been a pension fund market, liability-driven market for very for a very long time. You know, it's not just UK investors, that, but every big pension fund market in the world, whether it's Peru, whether it's Chile. You know, their markets aren't big enough for their own pension. They have to diversify and they diversify into markets like the UK because mm. they like that long duration nature. The reason we have so many long duration bonds in the UK is because there are natural buyers in the liability driven investors. Now, in the last few years, when rates have been low and these investors have liabilities to meet, they're not going to meet them at the yields. They weren't meeting them mm. at the yields that were in the market or not meeting the yield bogey that they needed. Um, and so ultimately, they were going to areas like equities because they don't want to erode any buffers they have at the moment. 
you know, if they're obviously meeting their liabilities, mm. they've got a buffer. They don't want to erode that by, by, by being in yields that are very low. Mm-hmm. So hence going over to equities, getting some more returns. But at these levels, you're starting to see a lot more demand from pension funds coming back to the market. And they are natural buyers in fixed income. Yeah. So I think that's part of it in the long end. And that's been taking place all year. Because, mm. you know, that's a lot of money that, you know, can't be put into the market at one go, especially in the UK market, which is, you know, very small relative to US and Europe. Yeah. But the other investors now that were sitting on the sidelines, that's what we're starting to see coming back a little bit more. Okay. And how about, you know, with wealth managers, there's been this this big kind of glo- go global trend in bonds. You know, it's it's been about you know, fixed income exposure beyond gilts. I mean, where, and I suppose, the, you know, the poor performance of gilts has kind of added added to that. It's made that easier. Where are we in that narrative? How are kind of discussions around that going? I think it's definitely been a journey. It's getting, I think, especially for a lot of wealth managers in the UK that mm. are very much, you know, when they're thinking about return generation, you look at equities. Mm. And for so many years bonds played the role you wanted them to, which is nothing fancy, no big returns, no big losses. It just did what it needed to do. And in that respect, many investors just say, well, I don't need a bond fund. I don't need, I can do this. I can just buy some investment grade bonds myself, buy the UK gilts, and that's fine. Then you have the market does what it always does, which something unexpected happens, uh, whether that be political or not, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, let's trust the, the statements made at that point or whether it's Brexit. You start to, in, in, when investors are hurt and they're losing money, they start to say, well, hold on, that is not playing the role I expected it to. I need to really step up my game and I need to understand more about this. And that's really been the journey. Mm. Investors have had taken hits and they've realized now actually you know, I'm going to start paying a lot more attention to this. And that's what's been happening. And in that journey, you know, when you, even if you buy a bond that's issued by a UK company in dollars or euros, and you buy it and you hedge it back to sterling, you're not taking the currency risk. And you're, and sometimes what it does, it just gives you more choice. Mm-hmm. Every bond in the market doesn't matter what bond it is, is really impacted by two things, the supply of it versus the demand of it. And that can differ, say, for Goldman Sachs bonds that issue in dollars, euros and sterling. Mm -hmm. Different investors, you know, the different supply of the issue versus ever changing, evolving demand. And therefore, that creates anomalies between different bonds. Mm -hmm. But actually, if you have a sterling bond in Goldman Sachs, and then you buy a dollar bond and hedge it back to sterling, and as long as you're, you know, adjusting your hedges, currency hedges, ultimately, you're buying the same credit risk. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what investors know now. And it just gives them more choice, more diversification, more avenues to make different levels of return. They're not just behest to just that's the sterling bond that I want. They've just got more choice. Right. So it's been that journey. And, you know, given what's happened, the volatility in the UK, it's just an easier choice now. Sure. So I think that's what's happening. So to your point, yes, we're seeing a lot more interest in, in global because investors now know that, you know, I, I have more choice, one, and actually I'm not taking much i'm not taking the risk perhaps that i thought i was because i'm hedging it back to sterling yeah okay 
One other area uh, I want to talk about is emerging market debt. So, you know, Vanguard's emerging market bond fund available in the UK has has basically doubled in size. Uh, It's almost doubled in size in the last year. It's definitely doubled in size in the last year and a half, two years. What's driven that? Well, I think just a couple of things. Uh, Number one, it's... This is one of our, um, we have two active funds in USITS. This is one of them. We ran this fund in the US or in the strategy in the US since 2016, and it's just done incredibly well mm. performance wise um, on a risk adjusted basis. And when we were thinking, you know, one of the journeys that Vanguard Europe has been on has been, you know, build out our options in ETFs and indexing, which are continuing to do, but really build that active side of the business for fixed income. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the EM performance, the way they manage risk, and really the unique, the, the unique kind of part of the process what, that the team focuses on is very much security selection, bottom-up security selection. It's avoiding these concentrated and correlated views. It's avoiding this big top-down, you know, um, bias that you typically have, especially in emerging markets. You know, what's happened at the macro level? Let me then turn my attention to the market and then pick a bond. We think about the opposite. We think about how bonds are moving, the supply and demand for those bonds, how we expect them to move on a risk-adjusted basis. Mm. And so what that means is we, our, the fund behaves like the index in terms of risk, but actually adds a lot of risk-adjusted returns. And I think that's the performance has been a big part of it. Um, but to your point, emerging markets in general, especially dollar emerging markets, and you, you have to break these up in emerging markets in terms of corporates, local, and dollar-denominated sovereigns. Mm. Corporates had their day in the sun or their year in the sun last year okay. because, one, they're shorter duration and they're attractive yields. And so last year was very much where people wanted to reduce duration. Corporate um, EM benefited the most. Then we came into this year where emerging market local was mm. the flavor because uh, many emerging market local central banks are already at peak inflation and closer to rate cuts right. prior to developed markets. That's a view that played out. And, you know, by six months into the year, 24% up, right? Mm. So, but really one of the biggest stories that's been sitting in the background has been emerging market dollars because last year, because it's number one, it's a longer duration asset class, it was hurt one of the most last year. So if you think about global fixed income developed markets being down roughly about 15%, EM was closer to a down 20. And the other side of EM is you break up into EM into two parts, investment grade and high yield. Mm. And really last year, high yield was impacted a lot because there's a lot of idiosyncratic stories around restructuring, whether it's Ghana, um, Egypt, for example. Okay. And so last year was hurt quite a bit. Now, the interesting thing about emerging markets is, again, it's been an edu- it's been a really educating journey for the market and investors. Mm. 50%, 50% of the emerging market sovereign universe is investment grade. Those investment grade countries are mostly you know, GCC countries, you know, um, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, gotcha. Abu Dhabi, very high quality countries. And therefore, you know, what you've done for that universe now is 10 years ago, on average, it was a high yield asset class. Today, mm. it's an investment grade asset class. There's more investment grade than high yield. And that's a market today that's offering you about 9.4% yields. Okay. Um, so 
the, you know, a lot of the view in the market is it got beaten up quite bad last year and it's offering 9.4% now. Yeah. That takes you about roughly about 450 basis points above the US, equivalent US above, above treasury and spread terms. Mm. So really, even if spreads widen 100 basis points from here, you know, are you going to go negative total returns? It can happen, but it's unlikely. Okay. And so that's why there's an appeal to the asset class. So to answer your question, it's the asset class, attractiveness, mm. but it's also the perform- in a performance okay. fair to it's been done very well. A kind of, you know, emerging market debt's the sort of thing that during the kind of low rates era, people would have maybe put it in the same bucket as high yield and said, this is people reaching for yield. This is a risk on asset class. You know, this isn't what fisc- fixed income should do in portfolios in a way. Is that, what kind of conversations do you have around those kinds of topics? Because it sounds like you're it's, saying this is a high quality asset class. Well, it's higher quality than people think it is. It's not, it's, mm. it's, it's more investment grade than high yield, yes. But I mean, high yield is still about, you know, over 45% high yield. So it's gotcha. still going to have its risks. And that's why I think there's a tendency to put it into the high yield bucket. Mm. But when we look at emerging markets in general, the growth in emerging markets, even prior to the financial crisis, was contributing more to global growth than developed markets. Mm-hmm. In general, they have lower debt, lower, um, you know, higher debt to GDP ratios. Yeah. Oh, sorry, lower debt to GDP ratios. And therefore, especially in a time right now where a lot of investors are concerned about how much debt developed market economies have, mm. it's starting to play, it's starting to become a little bit more attractive. What I find quite, rather than just high yield, I find a lot of investors put it into the same bucket as EM equities. Okay. And it, it's quite funny because a lot of investors, and I feel, especially in the UK, they're very comfortable with EM equities, but with EM debt, they're less comfortable. But actually, when you look back since 2013 or since 2003 on an annualized basis, it's from 2003, on a risk-adjusted basis, emerging market debt is higher than emerging market equities. And it's because emerging market will be be returned per unit of risk. And that's because emerging market equities is about three times more volatile. Mm. And generally, EM debt as a universe is higher quality DM equities right, because it's more investment grade. And so, you know, this is the this is the discussion we're having a lot more. People shouldn't be as uncomfortable with EM mm. debt if they are already comfortable with EM equities. And if you want to hedge EM equities, one of the best hedges is going to be EM debt, right? Mm. So again, it's 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 that conversation we're trying, we're having a lot more of investors. And again, they've been a lot more receptive to it. Yeah, okay. Wanted to kind of finish with a couple of general points. Um, you know, when we talked before, you you kind of hinted to me that you feel quite a lot of wealth managers aren't really set up to properly kind of assess um, fixed income, active fixed income managers, right? You know, they maybe don't really have the capability to deal with the kind of complexity. Can you kind of discuss that a bit more? I think it's more of a question of, you know, the, the great thing about the UK market mm. is that in general... A lot of companies don't have an abundance of resource, but they do so well with the resource that they have. Okay. And, you know, the, the specialism within these wealth managers is phenomenal. Mm. But again, it's for the last, you know, nobody cared about bonds for so long because right. 
gain. Why should you care about an asset class that was pretty much, especially in the UK, hovering on negative yield? <laughs> so, and so what so happens is that... you think that, there's been a bit of kind of a hollowing out of the expertise there? Yeah, because why would you focus on an asset class? And if you're thinking about growth for your underlying clients, you're looking mm. at equities. So you want to bring in people that are natural equity experts. And in that scenario is if you have a finite amount of resource, and I think in this environment, everybody's going to have a finite amount of resource. You want to really focus on what you do with that resource. Mm. Question is, is do you want to focus on an asset class that you know is going to be the stabilizer? You don't expect it to be a growth asset. You want to focus on equities. So I don't think it's a natural, you know, it's not, it's a speciality, but it's also how do I make the most of my time? And I want to focus on equities as the return generating asset class. Yeah. And therefore, that has driven in part one of the, you know, moves towards index, right? Because it does exactly what you expect it to do. Mm. So active is that one step further where it requires resource to understand the investment process, then, you know, follow the investment process, you know, any changes in it, regular updates following that. If the market is in shock, trying to understand, talking to the manager about what happened, why, all of that is time away from your equities, mm. right? Or time away from other return avenues for your clients. And I think that's that's what's driving it. I think that's it's not a bad use of resource, but that, again, that's why active managers come into play, right? Because that's one of the that's one of the attractiveness of the of the active managers. We can do that for you, right? But you know, the onus is still on the investors to understand the investment process, which they don't always want to put the resource towards. And, you know, to be fair to them, last for a long time, active managers haven't outperformed their benchmark, especially after fees. Mm. So, you know, from their perspective, seeing the data is, why should I? Yeah. But, you know, I, I feel like at least, at least for our funds, we, we after fees, we're generating some returns. And, you know, we're working a lot more with investors around our investment process, trying to really you know, we want them to understand as much as they can. We want to give them as much time to understand it. Mm. Um, so I think it's just, you know, if they're willing, if they want to spend that time, we're happy to provide that time. And I think it's time well spent, yeah. but that's only given their other priorities. Okay. Well, if bonds are back now, interesting note to finish on there. And maybe that's something that will change a bit more, you know, wealth man to focus on that in coming years. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, it was definitely, it's a better year than last year. Last year, having these kind of conversations yeah. is very painful. Bonds aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Tell me, tell me why. So I think this year is a lot more optimistic. Yeah. Um, I expect it to stay here for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. You know, as if we're saying, if our view is that central banks are, roughly at that range now mm -hmm. then and higher for longer you know i long may it continue because i feel like it's an asset class that is very important to investors mm -hmm. but it's an asset class that you don't pay attention you don't need to unless yeah. something happens but now there's a lot happening <laughs> right okay well great well thank you thank you very much for coming in today and uh, great to learn more no thanks so much for your time The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. 
Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk.